Hello guys, welcome to a Not The Top 20 podcast. As always, it's me, Ali Maxwell, with him, George Ellick. And this week we celebrated the return of the championship after a week-long break. And, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Just a whole league's worth of incredibly tight games. Uh, Some between two good teams, some of them between two not-so-good teams. But all the games across the weekend, just unbelievably tight. So it was hard to pick any specific ones uh, we, we can't talk about all of them but what we will do is pick out some of the ones that threw up things that we found most interesting um, first and foremost we're going to start with two new eras by which we mean the two championship sides whose managers took charge of their first games in Aston Villa's case Dean Smith in Brentford's case Thomas Frank and I've made an error already calling them managers because I think both of them probably head coaches welcome to the modern era George Aston Villa under Dean Smith won their winners against Swansea um, watching that one back and analysing the game how did you consider his, his first game in charge to have gone well they certainly created chances um, Tammy Abraham uh, scored probably the trickiest of three chances he could have had yeah. a Hattie uh, one of those a really really good header though uh, that he put away to put them 1-0 up um, I thought Jack Grealish looked very very lively indeed mm. um, a really nice pass in uh, for the pre-assist can we call it for the goal as Definitely. well um, and good to see Nyland, the keeper, who's had a tricky start making some crucial saves as well to keep them in it. So probably, as you'd imagine, with the Dean Smith team, very looking very fluid going forward. A lot of people giving uh, John McGinn rave reviews for his performance as well. I think his best performance of the season so far, certainly the keepers as well. But they did concede chances, um, but definitely a, a good start for Dean Smith. Um, Pre-assist is one of those phrases that just winds some people up so much. But we know our listener base by now, and, and well, that sort of thing's when, right up their street. When, when you know... Those such as uh, as Mr. Prutton will tell you that, that Jack Grealish doesn't do enough on a football pitch. So I think you've got to highlight the times when he does do something that leads to a goal, even if it won't show up in the goals or assist column. Point about that, actually. I was going to bring it up later. I've been scouring Instat. I feel like, uh, given that we have a subscription with it, it's probably worth um, contributing a little bit more to the podcast. So I was just scanning through some individual player stats for the season so far. On Jack Grealish, I think it's accepted that he's not playing quite as well this season as he did in the second half of last season. I did notice two stats that you'll like. Um, Dribbles in the championship. Grealish has completed the most dribbles and out of the top 20, um, quite clearly the best success percentage as well 67% of his dribbles he completes which is sensational Hotter for example on 47% so uh, you might think those two guys are pretty similar when it comes to dribbling but it's n- but it's not the case really uh, Joe Lolly at 66% also very good but also fouls suffered this is the big one Jack Grealish first in the championship with 60 Leitner second with 34 the drop off there I mean it's almost double it, it's it's quite remarkable so Grealish um looking like he might enjoy playing under Dean Smith and that's also uh, that is in itself a skill it's easy just to think it's one of those pointless um stats fouls fouls suffered but also of course in, it's in, a skill in, well just in terms of sheer uh, positional play and where you pick up the ball in the pitch I mean Jack Grealish plays a certain position which means that of those 60 fouls you can be pretty sure that a high proportion of them will be in dangerous areas. So, and with John McGinn and Conor Hurahan swinging the balls in, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Grealish looked great again, and um, and I have a feeling he's going to. I mean, Dean Smith said so in his press conference. He said he thought he could take Grealish to another level, and mm. 
you know, I'll be pretty excited if I see that. Yeah, we got a few tweets. Hugo was there, said Grealish back in the middle, which was good to see. Uh, although 7,500 to Holt said that he was dropping deeper. So playing more centrally, but coming from deep, which is something that we saw him do very well last season. The wingers played much higher up the pitch, although I did notice it was still El Mohamedi and Adoma. So just for the moment, Smith, keeping the, the more attacking wingers, Balassi and El Ghazi, um, sort of sheathed, if you will. John McGinn, the star man, I think it, it, it was really, and, and that's backed up by what these guys said uh, and the players noticeably 10 to 15 yards further upfield so a more proactive performance from Villa that's what the fans wanted to see although having said all of that um, you highlighted it that they have a lot to thank the goalkeeper Nyland for he made some excellent saves as did Norfeld in the Swansea goal uh, um, a word on Tammy Abraham do you think he might really thrive uh, under under Dean Smith He's got four goals in his last seven. He's got he's got to those four goals very kind of quietly as well. Mm. He's someone who we know scores goals in uh, in basically any team he plays in in the championship. Uh, that Bristol it's easy to forget because they've been so good since that Bristol City team he played for finished seventeenth. It was by no means a good team, and he scored a lot of goals in that season. Um, he is someone we've seen in Dean Smith's sides. Uh, Neil Morpay was obviously the beneficiary of it this season, mm. where they create chances at close proximity to the goal and they've always charted very well on, on XG data for that reason because they create good chances and uh, before if, him Weber last season to an extent exactly. Hogan before him and, and Andre Gray as well and if that's going to be the case here then you've got to expect uh, Tammy Abraham to be, be a perfect fit I mean obviously it's not as easy as him simply mapping those performances at Brentford onto Aston Villa especially not very quickly but mm. you'd think that the you know the tactics and the strategy that they will employ will be to give the striker chances on a plate and the person who's going to benefit from that is is Abraham and if it looks like Abraham will be the the first choice striker for Smith then uh, Johnny Danger or Jonathan Codger as they as he's known uh, will be I got that the wrong way around Jonathan Codger or Johnny Danger as he's known (laughs) will be coming off the bench an excellent bench option and Villa full of them Um, Brentford under Thomas Frank then Frank the assistant head coach to Dean Smith it seems was very much waiting in the wings uh, to take over when Dean Smith left. And he did so. Um, Brentford lost at home to Bristol City in his first game. This was another very, very even game. Brentford probably should have been ahead through Mopai in the first half. Bristol City came roaring back, had a goal disallowed that might not have been offside. It was hard to tell. And then a red card unbalanced the game somewhat. Uh, it wasn't the only poor decision in, in the EFL this weekend. We've got a lot of messages from you guys about the referees and it's a, a really disappointing thing because it, it, it obviously leaves paying fans very hard done by or feeling very hard done by it and it is a shame. Despite that, Watkins hit the post when Brentford were at 10 men when the game was nil-nil and then Bristol City making the most of their numbers by finding the extra man at the back post. So despite that, Frank said that the red card changed the momentum of the game. Greville Waterman tweeted us to say that Bees didn't really fire at all. Canos and Watkins not producing. Mopai missing a sitter and a pedestrian midfield with McLeod and McEachran anonymous. So um, one game, but not a great result. An OK performance. Doesn't sound like it was brilliant. And actually not a great month for, for Bees at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it says a lot. We, we talk about Brentford being pedestrian and not playing too well. I mean, Ollie Watkins hit the post, Neil Morpé missed a sitter and Romain Soyuz and, and Sergio Canios both had very good chances indeed. So mm. it wasn't like they were toothless. It's obviously a sucker punch for, for Brentford to concede when they did, uh, especially having hit the, hit the woodwork at 0-0 with 10 men. 
Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's a massive result for, for, for uh, Bristol City. It was interesting that again, after a couple of bad results, we got a couple of tweets talking about Lee Johnson's future as manager. It seems to happen mm. every time mm. they have one or two losses. These people creep out of the woodwork telling telling others that he isn't the man to lead them forward, which I just find pretty baffling. Yeah, five um, without a win before that. And before that run, it was four wins in a row. So still a team struggling to find consistency, but who do compete well, who do create chances. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you're losing five games in a row, but you've won the four before, then, then those four before still carry a certain weight. It's your, yeah. it's your point tally. And um, whilst some fans may not have seen this on the horizon, they've, they've gone and beaten one of the best teams in the league 1-0. Um, and deservedly so. So you've got to give them credit. Yeah, one of the most, I think, pleasing things from a Bristol City point of view has been the emergence of Lloyd Kelly uh, from their youth system. The departure of Joe Bryan was obviously painful for fans. Another academy graduate, very popular player and an excellent left back. Lloyd Kelly um, was was the man who looked like he would come in uh, and replace him as well as Jay De Silva on loan from Chelsea. Uh, what we've seen in the last few weeks is Kelly performing very well um, and starting to be, I think, shifted inside to, to, to become a sort of mobile, athletic, left-footed, left-centre-back. And we've seen him play for the England uh, youth teams in that position. And he looks like a really exciting young prospect. And it was interesting that um, De Silva came on and was excellent down the left-hand side as well. So Bristol City, again, look like they've come up with a gem in Lloyd Kelly and another Chelsea Loney in De Silva um, growing into the season. Um, so... Two very tight balance games we've talked about so far between pretty well-matched sides, Villa-Swansea and Brentford-Bristol City. That was the theme of the weekend. Let me list a few more games. Tight, tight games between well-balanced teams in the Championship. And you tell me which one you want to talk about first. So we had Wigan 1-0 against West Brom. Blackburn 2, Leeds 1. Derby 2, Sheffield United 1. Nottingham Forest 1, Norwich 2. Stoke 0, Birmingham 1. And Sheffield Wednesday 1, Middlesbrough two. George, take your pick. Which one of those was the most interesting? Well, there are two that I that I think deserve a, a real mention. Wigan West Brom certainly because mm. this wasn't one of those games where um, a team huffed and puffed and never broke through. I mean, West Brom were, were totally outplayed here, and uh, and the red card had no bearing on the game really after eighty four minutes. Um, Wigan were very very good value for their lead. Their home form now is really really good. Um, it seems to be a, a common occurrence this season where somebody becomes the buzz team of the championship and then immediately as soon as they hit top spot start to stutter yeah we've seen Leeds do it we saw Borough do it earlier on in the season we're now seeing West Brom do it and even Sheffield United having hit top spot get get beat last weekend um so I, I think it's it's you know it's a huge result for Wigan um but we, that, we, and that fact and the results this weekend just point to the reasoning being just that there's basically no absolute standouts at this stage and then there's like 12 teams who yeah. probably don't actually have that much between them which is why we see these unbelievably tight games and these these tight results I mean you, you look at the, the table I mean Villa and Brentford are two teams that in my head are still massively in the mix for, mm. for automatic promotion they're just one point ahead of QPR and Stoke who sorry two points ahead of QPR and Stoke who in my head are the, are the teams mm. fighting to, to you know stay away from the drop zone so it's, it's incredibly open and um I mean, it's difficult to say who the class teams in the league now are. Now, you'd still have to say Middlesbrough are one of them. You'd still probably have to say that West Brom are one of them as well because of the, the players they have on the show. With, but- with West Brom, one clean sheet this season. Uh, there are those, notably 
Mr. Mike Holden of the Fox Punter fame, who we talk about a lot, who don't find the team fully convincing and don't find Darren Moore fully convincing. Um, do you think that the front three, Gail, Rodriguez, Barnes, somewhat blinds us, or, or not necessarily just us, but somewhat blinds people, or has done in the last few weeks, about uh, exactly how good this team is? I think it definitely does. I mean, and we've spoken on the podcast before about the lack of creativity in a, in a Liverpool in a Livermore Brunt midfield too Axis. Yeah. yeah I mean Brunt's obviously got a got a hammer of a left foot but you never really see him playing the cute passes inside I, I can't imagine his creative numbers are particularly good although I must say I haven't seen them recently <laughs> um, and then in Matt Phillips and Kieran Gibbs on the flanks you've got a guy who's you know, off reputation alone has, has had a decent career in, in, in Kieran Gibbs and Matt Phillips who started the season so so well but realistically you know, he's never going to be one of the class players in the league. Mm. I mean, he, he's going to be effective. He's going to score goals. He's going to have games where he's unplayable. But, you know, I spoke to Steve Freeth about him um, a month or so ago, who sees a lot of West Brom, and he said that on his day, he's great. And when he's not on his day, he's, um, he's not quite the same player. And so, that back three just hasn't looked convincing really all season, despite the names being recognisable Premier League names, I suppose. But but we you know we don't want to fall in the trap here of of, of judging West Brom on overreacting. Exactly. I mean the, the fact is I'm still pretty sure they're going to finish in the top six, possibly the top three, maybe automatic promotion. They've still got some players who would you know literally walk into any team in this league. I mean <laughs> yeah. the the three you mentioned there. Uh, Rodriguez, Gale and Barnes would, would be welcomed into any starting eleven in this league and, and, and a fair few in the league above. So it, it's a couple of bad results. You know, we, we've spoken, it looks like they're going to kind of break all records in terms of, of scoring goals at home this season. They've got a couple of home games coming up against two other teams who are currently in, in, in the top seven in the championship in Derby and Blackburn. And it's, it's becoming my cliche, but I think that after that game against uh, Blackburn on, on Saturday, so the midweek game, of course, tomorrow night against Derby, after those two games this Sunday, we're going to have a much, much better idea of whether or not this West Brom team are the real deal or if they're just another of the chasing pack. Mm, well, we have seen them dominate teams in the bottom eight, the bottom ten, but when they've played the better teams, I don't think West Brom in almost any of those games have looked like a, a class above. So you're right that the next two games will be very interesting. They played against a Wigan side who performed fantastically well. Um, Patrick was at the game, said it was scrappy, uh, but Wigan looked more threatening. Windass and Kipre at the back, impressive for Wigan. Kipre uh, has, has moved, he's a French, young French defender, he's moved into the Wigan back line and, and performing very, very well this season. Um, I did notice that Nick Powell was involved as ever. He won the flick on for Windass's goal. Powell, such a, an exceptional attacking player. I think we, we've mentioned him in the air a few times, but it, is, it just continues to astound me how much he does aerially, considering his position, the profile of player that he is. It's, uh, it's very impressive. But the standout performer for Wigan appears to be Rhys James, the right back, on loan from Chelsea, of course. James, uh, you know, Chelsea have got fullbacks out on loan across the EFL, Jada Silva, Dujon Sterling as well. But Rhys James, apparently, according to the Wigan fans, could and should be playing in the Premier League at the moment. I know that Brighton are linked with him and might spend 10, 12, 15 million pounds on him just to get him to the club and try and prime away from Chelsea. But just uh, a fantastic young player playing really, really well for Wigan this season. Um, what was the other game that you wanted to talk about in that list of tight games between good-ish teams? Nottingham Forest against Norwich. Nice. Um, well, I'm quickly having to... Um, just reverse my opinions on both teams. I mean, I thought that Norwich had a, had a 
fairly easy run of games and um and we're gonna slightly fall away but they're you know they're going from strength to strength to be honest yeah um it's just still just incredible to think that their their whole left side is made up of you know of lewis and cantwell who yeah. have a combined age of about 38 <laughs> uh, both playing really really well and a nice little stat for you as well i mean they outshot nottingham forest 19 to 7 and lightner was the only outfield player for norwich who didn't have a shot who started wow. um, which just shows i mean you know can so i give you a stat about lightner he's made the most passes in the championship this season there you go so when he's not you know he's not shooting because he's, he's passing <laughs> correct um and when you think that tim close has scored the two goals yeah um it, it maybe shows that you know center back scoring two is a pretty misleading um you know it's a pretty misleading insight into this game where actually they were creating chances at will um and you've got to worry for forest just seven seven shots at home and they obviously went very close to, to going two nil up uh, hitting the woodwork yes. at one nil which could have changed the game but we, 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 we hoped and thought for so long that, that uh, Daniel Farker was going to be a breath of fresh air in this league. And, and after 12 or 13 months of, of it not being the case, I think we were ready to give up. And, and as were a few fans and as were maybe even the club. And what a difference six weeks can make because now he's back to being um, one of the hottest properties yeah, in the league. Yeah, he's getting a lot of coach. love, isn't he? And I think, I think what, what needs to be added to it is the changes that the club has had to forego over the last year or so with Farker in charge pretty much as soon as he was appointed this was a team that was losing its parachute payments they only got two years worth because uh, if you're relegated in your first season up in the Premier League you only get two years rather than the three years that most teams get so their parachute payments taken away from them quicker than most teams would have them taken away and they famously had an unbelievably large wage bill uh, upon relegation from the Premier League. So this is a manager that's had to endure basically a, an, a complete turner of turnover of squad, having a budget massively reduced, a wage bill massively reduced, having his key players sold in Madison uh, and the Murphy twins as well, and has, has managed to, with the help of Stuart Webber, the sporting director, put together another impressive squad um, more or less on the cheap and that's not doing them a disservice that's that's hopefully a compliment and also integrating these fantastic young players for example the fullbacks Aaron's and Jamal Lewis um, Mark who is a Forest fan said he was very impressed with those two fullbacks just 18 and 20 years age um, respectively the second home game in a row that Karanka has totally messed up in the second half though after that Millwall game when they were 2 nil up and came away with a 2 all um, five points from the last four and gone one up in all of them so inability to manage a game becoming too regular it's a peculiar one for Forrest that um, Rowden JRSG on Twitter noting that Todd Cantwell who you mentioned there his sixth start in a row 20 years old uh, Norwich have won four games in that time and he's been contributing uh, very nicely bubbling away nicely Rowden JRSG says without too much hype or attention and uh, yeah I just wanted to mention Leitner as well the most passes in the championship this season uh, he was on loan last season and they got him in permanently this is a, a 25 year old German player who's played in the Bundesliga and uh, by the looks of things if he continues on this trajectory might do again I wanted to give a shout out to Birmingham again and Lukas Djukovic again uh, what an incredible season he's having uh, they got the win at Stoke on the weekend and starting to turn the myriad of draws that they've had into wins and that is seeing them fly up the table to be honest they, they looked like relegation candidates after a few games um, but they were always performing well always in games and, and now they're getting the wins as well so Gary Monk a very popular man at St Andrews at the moment for, for giving the, the fans something to well just something to look forward to on a Saturday I suppose and, and, and Djukovic as well probably looked down on in the last few seasons for being a bit of a lump a bit too much of a target man but the quality that he's got on his left foot he's, he's proving 
He's providing assists like he did on the weekend for Che Adams. Scoring as well, battering defenders and, and, and leaving his mark. Nine goals and assists combined for him this season. That's level with Dwight Gale, who's on nine. Only Mopai on 13 better. So Djokovic needs to be uh, given an extra nod for being um, one of the best players in the championship this season. Certainly one of the best strikers. A uh, couple more things, George, I wanted to ask you about. A couple of your tweets from the weekend I wanted to talk to you about. You did very well out of a tweet about Adam Reach. He scored a <laughs> screamer for Sheffield Wednesday. Going into this game, we knew that Sheffield Wednesday's underlying performance data wasn't that impressive and they were being saved by Adam Reach's long shots. So sure enough, Adam Reach scored from 25 yards, but it was too late at that point. 2-1 to Middlesbrough. And, um, and a superb volley as well. Um, was that a volley? Is that the back yeah, to yeah. the ball? No, no, that was a volley on the full. I watched it earlier yeah, again, yeah, right nice. foot as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it was maybe a slightly bitter tweet because um, I might have backed Leeds to win to, sorry, Borough to win to nil. So that was a bit Let me just work. remind the listeners, George said, I'm looking forward to Adam Reach's loan spell at Brackett's Championship Club next season after an unsuccessful £8 million move to Premier League Club in January. Now, a couple of Sheffield Wednesday fans are a bit upset at your valuation of Adam Reach, only £8 million. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone should be paying that for him either. Um, <laughs> I love that getting people saying like, if Dak's worth this, well, I mean, Bradley Dak is a far, far better prospect than Adam Reach. Let's not be, be silly about this. I mean, Reach is obviously... The versatile Adam Reach. Exactly. Who's going? You know the point. What do you mean exactly? I meant that as a as no, a... no. As in, like he's you know he's he's capable and he's a very good championship player. Yeah. Um, but the output to which he is currently running is not going to continue. And the point of the tweet wasn't necessarily a go at Adam Reach. I mean, it wasn't a go at Adam Reach because you've got to applaud what he's doing. It was more just the the laziness of some Premier League recruiters where um, these guys go through hot streaks and then get picked up pretty quickly by him um, <laughs> and uh, exactly and without the kind of understanding that no players don't consistently score thirty yard goals um, throughout the course of a season unless your name is maybe Matt Letizia but even he didn't do it as regularly as Adam Reach is doing it at the moment so um, yeah I mean anyone who's thinking that Reach is a is a future um, is going to continue to do this I would uh, I'd wager not. Great win for Middlesbrough. Very high-profile mistake from Tom Lease at the back for Sheffield Wednesday. Now, Tom Lease has been a, a real stalwart of that back line for a few years. According to Instat, though, that's now 10 goal mistakes that he's made this season. Now, I couldn't find the exact definition, but I think it speaks for itself. 10 goal mistakes from Lease. They've only played 13 games, so that seems worrying. That's the most insane. The most in the league, that is. And Middlesbrough, the big stat from the weekend. 68 times they've taken the lead in the championship since 2015 and they've won 61 and drawn seven so when Borough take the lead that's it I'm afraid Um, and just a quick word on Blackburn who beat Leeds massive win for them important set pieces of course both of their goals um, were able to to beat a Leeds side that scored a fabulous goal of their own Um, but needed to clear the corners George's tweet just two wins in their last nine in all comps for Leeds now, dating back to August. Only scored more than once in one of those two. A couple of people saying, we're missing key players. Not that worried just yet. But then there are some Leeds fans who are like, ah, oh, a bit worrying this. Yeah, I mean, you can't be too concerned. I mean, the, the numbers they're putting out are still still fairly decent. Um, it's more just a, a comment on, again, or maybe just everyone jumping the gun a little bit. Um, this Leeds team is still in touching distance to the top spot. They're still playing very good football. They've only lost two games this season. It's all looking rosy, but there have to be concerns about the lack of goals. Um, there have to be concerns about the inability to put teams away. Um, you'd expect, given how they started the season, you'd think there'd be games where there'd be 
be running clear of teams really yeah. and they're failing to do that and whether it's early signs of fatigue whether the injuries themselves early signs of fatigue who knows but the performances are still ranking pretty highly so if they continue the way they're going they should pick up points but it's a sticky spot at the moment and um, couldn't be playing a better team tomorrow night I think to turn that around at home against Ipswich if they, if they can't put Ipswich away then uh, maybe it is time to get a little bit worried <laughs> Sheffield United started the weekend top of the championship but it's Middlesbrough now Sheffield United losing at Derby County, who played very, very well. I thought Marriott looked brilliant in this game. It's taken him some time to work his way into the, the first team. But even though he's not the, the biggest, not the tallest, so you wouldn't strike you as a target man, um, I think he's working really well in this system. And, and the main takeaway for me for this was Derby, how much pace they have on the ball, on the break. Lawrence and Wilson both move with such pace on the ball. Mount moves the ball so quickly with his passing, and Maria is just going to stretch defences all day long. But the key was in the summer when we, when we looked at his goals in League One and we wondered whether he could make the step up was, is he scoring one-on-ones? Is he just springing defences and finishing? And it, that wasn't the case. He was getting on the end of a lot of crosses. He was finishing well from cutbacks. And that's what we saw. Movement in the box, getting on the end of an excellent ball from Forsyth and finishing fantastically well. So in Marriott, getting that chance seems to be taking it a very good sign for Derby. Sheffield United um, played very well in the first half but fell away somewhat um, and Derby, here's a fact for you. They haven't played against any one of the top 15 teams away from home yet. So bigger tests to come for Derby. They've lost three away games against teams in the bottom seven. They lost to Rotherham, they lost to Bolton and to Millwall. So um, a big test for them will be going away to some of the top teams in the division. And we'll wait and see what happens there. Two big results down at the bottom of the table. You talked about if Leeds can't get past Ipswich then maybe we'll start to reconsider and that's because Ipswich are really really bad aren't they losing 2-0 at home to QPR it's an absolutely shocking performance um, by every standard they not only um, conceded indirectly from two set pieces um, for which I think QPR deserve an award for for inventive set pieces what did you like so much about QPR you texted me so excited saying we've got to talk about QPR's corner routine I don't think I've already seen it before I I said just enjoy your weekend I'd like to to know if they do that every uh, more often but I haven't really seen it before where they everyone just went on the line (laughs) they all all just stood on the line and then the ball gets sent in behind them and then then they push back and Ipswich had absolutely no idea what to do with it Um, but Ipswich failed to you know create anything mm. low. Um, and you know I was really excited about the, this Ipswich team um, about Hurst about the players he brought in and I'm starting to think that maybe they're, they're you know they're, they're not up to it um, which is a massive massive shame they had just three shots um, in the whole match not good um, enough at all uh, it's, two of which were, sorry one of which was blocked so I mean to register three shots at home against a team who you know, by no means clear of, of, of the relegation scrap and have at times been very poor this season. And especially when you're 2-0 down in a whole half and 1-0 down after 13 minutes, you'd expect them to be able to muster something. Mm. But um, really, really concerning. And they have, they, they've got a, a, you know, a bit of a freebie against, um, against Leeds coming up on Tuesday night. And then the next three games after that are absolutely massive. Um, in uh, Millwall away, Preston at home and then Reading away. And um, I'm, I'm almost fairly surprised that, uh, happy, I guess, but surprised that Hurst hasn't been shown the door today because there's no point in giving him Tuesday night and then, and then getting rid of him for those three games. If, if you want 
I mean, they're the three games that could easily set them up for the rest of the season or condemn them to, to a really long, hard struggle. And uh, you want the guy, I think, who's going to be leading you either into battle or, or, or not. You want the guy to be in charge for those games. And, and the fact that Hurst is still there today suggests, uh, and I hope they give him that time, because it would seem crazy to, to get beat at Ellen Road and then, uh, and, and then pull the plug and, and go into those games rudderless. Yeah, good win for QPR on the more positive side. Uh, Freeman and Easy and Hemed, all impressive, but they seem to have tightened up somewhat uh, at the back, at least against the very bottom team. So QPR have, have beaten all the teams, more or less, that they've played in the bottom six. Generally, they're losing to teams in the top half. So I think that sort of gives us a pretty good idea about their level. Um, not to say that they're absolutely safe, um, but you're, <laughs> just a quick word about how you can frame things. I've seen people saying, Oh, you know, QPR are just four points outside the playoffs now. You're like, yeah, they, yeah, they are. I mean, you, that is literally true. But there's nine teams between them and the playoffs. Um, they're 16th. So, um, you know, it, you, you can't get too excited about that sort of thing. Um, but a, a good result. And then <laughs> Reading. I feel really bad. We got a tweet from a Reading fan on, I think it was on Friday night, just saying, I, I'm... It's really sad listening to you guys talk about Reading because there's just nothing positive. But he wasn't saying, he wasn't having a go. He was just saying there's been nothing positive to talk about for about 18 months now. And it just made me a bit sad. I just felt a bit bad for the Reading fans that listened. So I thought, well, they've beaten Millwall 3-1 in a game where we said we both sort of sided with Millwall on the betting show. Um, and Simeon, a Reading fan tweeted us. I thought, brilliant. Simeon and his Reading fan friends and peers are going to be so happy to get the win Simeon said this was robbery of the highest order <laughs> but for once the luck went our way under siege for once from... yeah for once I mean well, it's been it's been it's been years <laughs> of luck <laughs> no not the last year or so well, anyway okay under siege from Millwall in the second half very good rear guard action but worrying lack of control of the game this is a Reading side that got a win um, but the fans are still calling it a robbery. Anyway, positive performances from Yakumete, who signed a new three or four year do- deal recently, which I was slightly surprised at, but scored two key goals. Um, worries, I suppose, for Millwall. We've always known that they're not that good away from home. Of their 27 shots, Millwall's only three were outside the area, which is pretty impressive. What? Yeah. Millwall had 24 shots inside the area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, okay. Jesus. Okay, yeah. well. Good, good win, Reading. Saw it out. Well done. Good win, guys. Yeah, yeah. And, anyway. no, 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 of course. And, and you know, and they've won two of their last what is it four games at home um, after what's been a, a difficult time. Two of the last three at home. So trending in the right direction. Paul Clement's got to be happy with that. Definite concerns about the performances, but at this stage, picking up the points is crucial. Absolutely. Before we move on to League One, my final interesting instat stat out of the. 20 players who made the most passes in the championship this weekend. 15 of them were defenders, either centre-backs or full-backs. Only five midfielders in the, in the top 20. Uh, I don't think uh, he probably was, yeah, actually. Is. Only five midfielders out of the top 20. So a lot of ball being played uh, at the back in the championship this weekend. The five midfielders were Ollie Norwood, Sheffield United, Ryan Woods of Stoke, Moritz Leitner of Norwich, Matthias Click of Leeds and Tom Huddleston of Derby. So well done those teams for you know, finding their midfield player and letting him spray it. That's what we want to see. In League One, I think there were two quite big results towards the top of the table. So we'll just touch on those, shall we? Accrington yeah. winning at Peterborough. An absolute love fest between the two chairmen on, uh, on Twitter beforehand. I think that uh, Dara McAntony gave Andy Holt his 
exclusive iFollow login details so that he could watch the game on holiday <laughs> that, in Spain. Is that allowed? Well, I can, mean... Can you share that stuff about? I don't know. I DM'd him asking if we could have his login. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> um, but I would like to. Anyway, Accrington won at Posh. They're top of the form table in the last eight games. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Accrington and, and sustainability. They've only scored 18 goals for their 26 points, which is fantastic. Um, but all the other teams in the top seven have scored between 21 and 30. Now, they do have an excellent defence, and it strikes me that once they're ahead, they see games out incredibly well, and that, you know, that is very, very important. They're a team that knows how to win. Um, but they've got Luton away in midweek. They're 4-1 to one with the bookies to win that, and then Portsmouth at home, just over 2-1 to one with the bookies. So the bookies aren't believers, George. Do you think that this might be the last time for a while we talk about them? Or next week, and are we going to be like, geez, we should have gone even bigger? I can't believe we're here and you're still writing off Accrington. I'm you know, not writing them you're off. Saying, you're saying this is the last time we're going to speak about them. I said, Absolutely is it the not. last time? You know I, I, I hedge my bets. I, I sit uh, on the fence. No, I don't think so. I mean, I'd be Great. surprised if they got to Kenilworth Road and, 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 you know, if they can get a point from that, that'd be an amazing effort. Uh, but if, if you're going to send a team to any uh, stadium in League One at the moment and uh, give them a, a tough defensive task. That's probably going to, to Peterborough and being one up after 10 minutes and holding out because even though they've overperformed compared to their shot data, uh, Peterborough are a team and a club and have a manager and a squad who are not, a throw, not afraid to throw the kitchen sink at it. Mm. And they did. And Accrington came out not only unscathed, but still you know, ahead in, in the XG data. I mean, they didn't, I think they registered a shot for the last kind of 40 minutes or so yeah they did their business early and but then they, shut up shop they just shut up shop and that's and that's absolutely huge and will give them confidence they can go anywhere in this league and do the same thing and and also they're not a team who'll only win games 1-0 this season I'd expect them to, to, to put a few uh, the weaker teams in the league to the sword as well at mm. home um, it, it's just fantastic to see and, and I was you know, I was thinking about this this morning I mean could we be living in a world where Atkinson stand you're a championship club next season because that would be absolutely unbelievable I mean you think about some of the, the, the stories and the amazing um, and the amazing teams who have done well to get up to the Premier League and the Championship, but this would would really you know take the biscuit and it would be incredible to see them do it. But it's early days; it's October. Accrington fans should enjoy it whilst they can. But um, I mean, I've got everything. It's just it, it's an example that all clubs can now take. That if you recruit well, if you bring in the right characters, if you get a manager who the fans and players believe in, then it doesn't matter what your budget is, you, you can you can do anything. Given that last week we appeared, or you appeared more specifically, in the Bristol local news and the Plymouth Herald as well, I'm looking forward to the headline, Ellick thinks about Accrington in the shower. Now, you didn't say it was in the shower that you were thinking about it, but I'm not sure when else it would have been. Anyway, um, very, very very good stuff. Um, I also like that, you know, the, the onus on recruiting good characters. I like the idea there might be some footballers listening to this and going like, oh, no, I'm actually not a great character. So It's, it's very important. It is very important. It's absolutely important. Charlton beat Barnsley 2-0. Carlin Grant beat yeah. Barnsley 2-0. I said it before, isolate him. Get him out wide, running inside at a centre-back, and he will score goals. That's exactly what he did. Lyle Taylor set him up for the second goal. My main question to you, George, is previous to that, Charlton had lost to Scunthorpe and Coventry, Coventry at home as well. Are they the League One team with the biggest gap between their top level and their average level? Inconsistent? Possibly. And I think that in part that's down to, to the fact that in their squad and in their team, they probably have the biggest gap between their best players and the <laughs> yeah. worst players as well. Um, I'm going to the Valley tomorrow night to watch 
uh, Charlton beat Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't say I'm particularly looking forward to it. Um, I think that in that Lyle Taylor, Carlin Grant duo, not only do they have two players who individually are amongst the best strikers in League One, but they've seemed to have struck up and you know unbelievable partnership together which mm. you don't always I mean especially in this day and age it's not often that you see teams effectively playing four four two and having two goal scorers you know actually striking up like a, a proper they're both scoring goals they're both playing well they're both helping each other and that is fairly scary to see as a uh, as an opposition fan I'm, I'm still not not of the belief that they're one of the best teams in the league um, I still think they'll concede goals, um, but to keep a, a clean sheet against this Barnsley team is is commendable. You've got to start being con- a little bit concerned about Barnsley c- consistently putting in. I mean, actually, you asked me who's the best and their worst. Barnsley have to be up there as well. Yeah, um, who are a team who on their day sweep the floor with anyone, and then when they're when they're poor, they just they lose without really much of a much protestation. So yeah, I think there are probably very valid thoughts from Sunderland fans, maybe who have heard us and others talk a lot about Barnsley this season, who might say, well, actually, in terms of off days, they've had way more than us. Sunderland have only lost one game this season. I'm not sure what the number is for Barnsley, but it strikes me that there have been more than you'd expect, yeah, more, more off days. I would say that Barnsley, on their, when, when they've played badly, been punished. Right? I think that you know, even the most optimistic Sunderland fans will say that uh, there have been days where they've picked up points where they haven't really deserved them. The Shrewsbury game being, being a prime example of that, where... You know they were under the cosh really until they scored their first goal, and then used their experience to win two 0 and their and their fitness as we've uh, as we've discussed. Um, but there have been a few games this season, the Coventry one being another one where they relied on a, a bit of magic from from Chris Maguire to see them through. Um, the Oxford game that we went to as well with ten men and and you know not really seeing much of of, of a chance getting the draw. So I, I, whilst that shows great character and and they are certainly a team who after a couple of years of, of not really showing much fight. Um, it's impressive to see that. I, I don't think necessarily, you know, Sunderland are one point ahead of Barnsley. So um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be feeling too um, hard done by if I was a Sunderland fan. There was an absurd game, Doncaster 3, Gillingham 3, and it was Donny who scored a very, very late equaliser. And you're thinking, God, they must be thrilled with that. Gillingham gutted to have conceded a late equaliser. Um, the XG score in that game Doncaster depending on where you look uh, we're looking at Y Scout data provided by Fox Punter Doncaster Rovers 4.05 chance expected goals Gillingham 0.3 expected goals I think it might have actually only been three shots in total they scored their three goals Doncaster four goals worth of XG apparently uh, only three so that was uh, a bit of a quirk we had a good question from Dan about XG and uh, we're going to touch on that on Thursday on the betting show so if you want to hear a little bit more in-depth chat about XG there's a question that we're going to talk about on Thursday uh, about certain types of teams and styles of play that outperform XG or certain types that underperform XG and whether it's fair to say that that is a thing that exists but and if you don't want to listen to that you should still listen to the podcast because there'll be loads of other stuff we talk about yeah obviously <laughs> and that goes without saying um, George uh, you were at Bristol Rovers near Oxford nil um, Bristol Rovers I want to learn about from you I don't know how much you can take away from that game Five league games without a goal consecutively and seven out of the last eight games Bristol Rovers have failed to score. That, to me, sounds really miserable. Do they look bad? How bad do they look? Pretty bad. I mean, they were comfortably the better team um, in the second half of of the game, I must say, before I'm I'm accused of being biased here. But despite that, Tom Nichols had a 
a good effort. Um, I think he's cursed. Yeah, he had, I a, actually he, think he had a good effort saved unbelievably by Simon Eastwood. A really nice nugget in the local press today where Simon Eastwood said that he heard Tom Nichols say, how did you save that after he saved it? Uh, which, you know, if you haven't seen the save yet, it, you can find it on Twitter. It's a fantastic save. Um, but except for that, and then Curtis Nelson blocked the rebound, except for that, they didn't really trouble Oxford too much. Um, they, it was one of those games where Oxford were the better team in the first half. Bristol Rovers were the better team in the second half. Neither created very much. Both It was mainly in terms of possession and ball retention that they were the better teams. Um, it was, I mean, it was just fairly... I mean, Liam Serkin is a player who obviously I know very well and has been a, a spark that I've seen in the past. Didn't get involved whatsoever. Stuart Sinclair is another one who I've been impressed with with his industry. Didn't really do much at all. Um, Yakubiak and Clark taken off at half-time and replaced by uh, Bennett and Matthews, which did make... A slight difference in terms of giving them more control of the game. Mm. Um, just strikes me that they don't have very many creative players. Well, that, that their way of attacking is just quite easy to defend against. That's exactly it. It's, it's balls into the channels um, and trying to gain possession of the ball in those advanced areas and then getting mm. balls in the box. Um, and it's worked well for them in the past, but it, it was fairly. It, it just doesn't feel like they have the players to do it. Um, it was. I, I got a tweet um, before the game saying this has it down to one of the grimmest League One games ever. And I replied saying, well, I think Oxford have enough um, calamity at the back and flare up front that, that it should be okay. But um, I turned out to be to be wrong. Was uh, it one of the grimmest games it in was, League One history? It was pretty poor. Um, there was, you know, there were, there were signs. I mean, Marcus Brown, again, had showed that he's, in, in terms of pure talent, too good for this level. But yeah, I mean, there, there, it was a game without much... Um, it, if you ask either team I think both teams would say they're man of the match with the keepers Jack Bonner made a couple of saves in the first half which I'm not convinced many keepers in the league would have made and then Simon Eastwood did the same in the second half just to give a little bit more context to the listeners about my phrase Tom Nichols is cursed Tom Nichols is Bristol Rovers number 10 uh, he is 25 years old he's a really nice player creative gets involved in in linking and build up play uh, previously scored 36 goals in 112 games for Exeter a, a perfectly respectable return 14 goals in 58 for Peterborough um, less good but still not terrible he's played 59 games for Bristol Rovers and scored just two goals um, it's absolutely remarkable and I don't really understand it uh, if you watch him uh, he's a perfectly good player it reminds me a lot of myself actually a very sort of small creative <laughs> number 10 um, but I mean arguably I'm, I take more chances and then uh, you've got to say at this stage anyway um, rounding up League One we must give a little nod to the other winners of the weekend Sunderland's quality showed against Shrewsbury Luton 2-0 winners at home with two goals from set pieces a George Grant special free kick Burton beat Plymouth away from home Freddie Ladapo with two goals for Plymouth but all three of Burton's goals from set pieces just embarrassing defending and, and the the tide well and truly turned. You could hear the noises emanating from the home end um, after the second goal especially. Um, uh, and uh, Derek Adams called the section of the fans yobbish, uh, which I don't imagine would have gone down that well. Coventry got a great away win. Jody Jones, who you'll remember from the start of last season, being by far and away their best player. Um, back from his ACL injury and scoring the winner. And Wickham's... Just about scoring the winner. I just mean, about. I mean, it was, a, it was the worst goal. I don't understand how that's his goal, really, but <laughs> fair enough. He deserves it. And Wickham's comeback win against Scunthorpe, 2-0 down after 10 minutes or so. Um, goalie sent off at 2-2 with 20 minutes to go. Craig McHale-Smith taking a beautiful chance to win it for I Wickham. The, the double head touch was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. on goal, did it with his head, didn't do it again, so just nodded it down again. Yeah, lovely. brilliant. Such composure. You don't see that very often in League One. League Two, 
to finish us off. George, we've got to talk about Macclesfield at the top. Um, 1-0 down early in the second half against Carlisle. They hadn't won a game this season. Did their heads drop? The heads didn't drop. Now, a lot of people were banging on about how they had equaled Derby's record for most games since their last EFL win. I'm not interested in that. Um, the, the other half of that was a season about five or six years ago. Not bothered. Really not bothered. They won over 100 games in non-league in between. But it is significant that they've got the first win of this campaign. Um, so well done to Macclesfield. Is there anything you particularly liked about that Macclesfield performance? Or? Well, I think if you're going to break a, a record, like so if you're going to break a duck like they have, it's the perfect way to do it. Go 1-0 down, score bang-bang twice in late succession and hold on for the last five minutes. Nice. Um, good for them. Crawley 4-1 winners against Newport. We know that when Newport lose, they lose big. But Crawley, really quite, actually quite impressive in this game and in other games under Gabriele Cioffi. Yeah, if, if I, I mean, we obviously don't do betting podcasts for the midweek ones, but I'm, I mean, I'm having a decent crack at them against Exeter nice. uh, tomorrow night. Um, at just shy of two to one, I think it is. Um, where I think Exeter, as, as we've discussed at great length, are, are surely set for a, for a, for a barren spell uh, based on, on their numbers. Um, failing to score away at Grimsby is enough for me to suggest it's on its way. And, Pretty decent um, XG. I know, output. but I think most teams will against Grimsby, sadly. <laughs> and um, and Crawley under, under Chilfi, as you say, looking really slick. So mm. um, you, you know, Harry Keel's stock is is sinking by the by the second, sadly. But uh, mm. I think I think Crawley could be good things for for Tuesday night. Yeah, more on Kuehl in just a second. Um, Ollie Palmer, I wanted to give a shout out to. He's been absolutely brilliant for Crawley in this campaign. Uh, he's not always been the most fashionable striker, even at this level, um, or, or, the, or the most prolific goal scorer. But he, a bit like Djukovic, I think, in the Championship, as a target man, as a presence, um, has been fantastic and scoring goals as well. And I, I wonder whether, if we look back at, I might be completely wrong, I wonder how Crawley fans reacted to the signing of Oli Palmer in the summer because... I, I don't think it's the type of thing that I would have seen and gone, oh, that's a fantastic signing, but it's proving to be exactly that. Uh, shout out to two beautiful goals in League Two on the weekend. Jordan Barry, once of Aston Villa, don't forget, uh, finishing with the outside of his right foot from the edge of the box perfectly into the top corner to win the game for Crew, And another winning goal, Courtney Senior for Colchester. Um, a fantastic dinked one-two with, uh, with a teammate in the box finishing well for Colchester. So a shout out to those two. We'll get on to our team of the week, though. A lot of the top teams were held to draws this weekend, notably Lincoln and Tranmere and uh, uh, a couple of other teams as well. Exeter, that's right. Um, Newport losing. So MK Dons were big winners, winning to nil, clean sheet in 50% of their games. MK Dons, six games they've won to nil, very much the Middlesbrough of League Two with a bit more attacking intent. But they're not our team of the week. The big winners to nil, George, were Berry. 4-0 winners against Harry Kewell's Notts County. They are our team of the week. Yeah, and I think they're the team of, of a kind of a couple of weeks, really. Nice. Um, it's, been, it's been like gigs as sports plus hands of the year. We've just given it to the, at the end of a good run. Um, yeah, they... After, great reference. After, really great reference. Yeah, that. It's not really Eveli, sadly. But um, they're, they had a difficult start back in lead two it's fair to say and uh you know ryan lowe's not necessarily i mean we didn't know if he was the right man to take them forward um it looked precarious given what happened at the back end of last season and uh, and their start this season but they have really turned it around and this is this is a victory for the data boys where you know they, they were looking like they were gonna go on a good run a couple of weeks ago and, and that has been the case um really really impressive 
Uh, they've lost just one of their last, I think, eight, eight games. I think in in the in the league, um, a few draws in there as well. But to put Notts County to the sword like they did uh, was really, really impressive. That's their second four nil win at home in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Nicky Maynard has come in, um, a player who was linked to Oxford. Uh, a few weeks ago before he signed for Berry, I was very vocal in, in not wanting him at the club. He's now scored four goals in three games. <laughs> um, but uh, And Dominic Telford is also a really interesting one. He scored twice in the EFL Trophy and forced his way into the team and then took his chance really nicely and also won the penalty as well. Very nippy, by very, which I mean very small and very fast. Very fast. And, and you know, a guy who, who didn't have much... I mean, they took a bit of a punt on him from Stoke, um, and he's he's you know he's repaying them already. Mm. Um, so Danny May, you have to be Danny May Adams back, back in his best form. They've got a, yeah. like a loads of options up top, which yeah. is really handy to have in League Two. Um, and you, you know, when you think about the investment they put in last summer, it makes sense in League One. It makes sense they've got a bit of quality floating around. So I'm um, you know, Notts County. Um, Harry Kiel was asked about the performance afterwards. He just said terrible. Yeah. Um, you've got to be really worried about them and this could be a, a bit of a giant falling into non-league here if things don't, don't turn around pretty <sighs> That's soon. That's a huge call. That is a huge call. We're focusing on, on Berry, um, and, and yeah, credit to Ryan Lowe. What he's got, as you've mentioned, are some excellent players. But um, reading a, an excellent piece by Gab Sutton, the football lab, he's writing for We Love Betting and he was writing about Berry. He notes that tactically they're in a good position. They play uh, three at the back, a sort of... Three four one two with uh, with Mayer in the hole, Nicky Adams playing right wing back. But what they're able to do because they have quality players and crucially versatile players is uh, when Adams pushes high up the pitch, uh, McFadstein, the left wing back, can drop in. Uh, Ameson can shift across to right back. It can become a bit more of a four four two or a four two two two, and that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of flexibility that can get you a long way uh, in League Two and can cause difficulties for opposition teams who don't have uh, various ways of playing so m- massive credit to Ryan Lowe who, who's really growing into his time as Berry manager and they're on great form Gab reckons they're a bet for automatic promotion which is interesting we're going to wait a little bit of time before we uh, before we fully get on that bandwagon I think but big winners this weekend Berry 4-0 against Notts County they are our team of the week. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Hope you've enjoyed this 50-minute whiz through of another excellent weekend of EFL action. Um, we hope that you're enjoying the podcast this season, twice weekly. Last week, three podcasts, in fact. Hopefully you're enjoying it. If you are, please do continue to help us out, as you always do, with a retweet, uh, with a share. A link on a forum can, can, can equal 50, 100 new listeners for us, and that's really valuable. So, if we've spoken about your team and you think we've, we've raised some interesting points, please do share it amongst the fans of your club. We'd be most grateful. And um, yeah, tune into the betting show on Thursday. And until then, thank you very much for listening. Listening.